Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. This autumn, COVID-19 is not dominating the conversation like it did last year and the year before that, but it hasn't gone away either. And with case numbers beginning to rise, today I talked to health editor Paul Cullen about how ready we are for the winter. Paul, where are we now when it comes to COVID? Around 250 new cases were confirmed yesterday and the numbers in hospital are way down on what they were. But rather than looking at the daily numbers, it might be better to focus on the trends. So what are the trends telling us now? Sure. Well, the first thing is that we don't have an exact fix on how we are with COVID because we're not measuring as much as we used to before. And that's understandable because the threat it poses has receded. So when you talk about 250 tests, that's probably only a fraction of the real number of infections. Um, But we do get a sense, and I am getting a sense at the moment, that we have reached the lowest level that we're probably going to reach at this moment and that things are probably going to to start rising again. I say that for several reasons. Um, There's been a slight increase in cases, slight increase in the number of people in hospital with COVID, uh, uh, a slight increase in the positivity of the tests that we are doing that are coming back. Um, And common sense will also tell you that it's that time of the year again. It's autumn. The kids are back in school. We've been mixing pretty freely over the summer, but we're now going to be doing more of it indoors uh, in damper weather. So uh, it seems quite likely that we're we're going to see cases and um, hospitalizations increase over the next while. And of course, earlier this year and late last year, it seemed as if new variants of COVID-19 were coming thick and fast. But we haven't heard about any major new variants in recent times. Does that mean that the virus has stopped mutating? That's really good news, I think. Uh, that's probably the best news I took from the summer. Um, all it, That's not the case that the virus is not mutating. It is still mutating. In fact, um, the experts will point to a bewildering array of different permutations. But certainly the variant that we have at the moment, mostly BA5. So BA5 belonged to the Omicron family of, of, of variants. And we've had Omicron since, uh, was it spring or something like that? Um, so everything that's that's happened since then has been in that that general family, and as we know, that tends to, that has been milder and hasn't imposed such a burden on society as as others other variants did before. There is still variation, but BA five has kicked everything else out of the park. Really, it's knocked everything else out of the park, and uh, nothing has been able to to get a toehold against it. I think it's likely that something else will will come along. If you're a glass half full person, you'll say. What we're seeing is, yes, there's still variation, it's still mutation, 
Um, but it's in the right direction uh, and it's in the direction of mildness. And, and perhaps this might settle down into something more akin to the, the yearly flu that we have. If you're a glass half empty person, you're saying this thing is really changing uh, very fast, very frequently. And given what we've seen over the last few years, there's you cannot rule out the fact that something really horrible and nasty might come along. But there's no sign of it yet. Now, you mentioned the fact that we're heading into winter and obviously people will be congregating indoors more as a result. And there are fears that we might be hit with a double whammy of flu and COVID in the months ahead. Why is there more concern about that this year than maybe there was in 2021 or 2020? Yeah, both Paul Reid, the head of the health, the health service and, and, and the minister, uh, Stephen Donnelly, have both expressed fears that this could happen. We know how weak and vulnerable the health service is in general. Um, two years ago, at the start of the pandemic, we got no flu because of all the restrictions that were in place. We got very little, thankfully, last year, and that helped us get through the winter, although it was very difficult. This year, um, we tend to take our cue for what might happen in the winter from what happens in the southern hemisphere. And, and in this case, Australia and New Zealand had quite a bad flu. After two years of lockdowns and social distancing, the flu has returned with a vengeance. The easing of COVID restrictions has brought people back out, leading to a surge in flu cases. And now health authorities are pleading with Australians to get a flu shot. Australia had the worst flu for about five years. On the flip side, while they had a lot of cases, it didn't translate into as many hospitalisations as, as they had feared. We've already got a start of the RSV virus, which affects children a lot. There's been a surge in that and, and the indications that we might have an early peak in that uh, in the children's hospital as we did last year. So, um, you know, a sensible person would say it seems likely that we will have a reasonable amount of flu, more than we've had over the recent years. We'll have RSV and other bugs and and then COVID is, is probably likely to increase as well. So a twindemic or whatever is probable. A new Pfizer COVID vaccine is rolling off the assembly line in Kalamazoo. The first thing you notice is that the tops of the vials aren't purple. You notice the color change. A new color because there is a new target, the Omicron BA4 and BA5 variants. We have a new generation, Paul, of vaccines that are coming down the tracks, including one, I think, from Pfizer. What's different about how these new vaccines work compared to the previous incarnations? And do we know how much more effective they are than existing vaccines? So the vaccines were developed, if you remember, at the very end of 2021. And then it took about a year for them to be distributed widely among populations in Ireland and, and other Western countries. And the, the, the process of getting them out across the world's population is still continuing. As you mentioned earlier, there's been mutation of the, of the virus. Um, but the really good news is for the first time in this pandemic, I think, the manufacturers of the vaccines have caught up with the variants that are in circulation. So Pfizer and Moderna have developed vaccines uh, which protect against the BA1 and BA2 uh, variants which were in circulation recently, which they're, they're, they're forms of Omicron. In Europe as well, uh, Pfizer have just got um, recommendation for their BA4 and BA5. Again, also Omicron um, sub-variants. And BA5 is the currently dominant variant in Ireland at the moment. So the process of approval, it goes to the European Commission. Uh, that should happen very soon. And then it comes back to Ireland. It's legal then and it's a matter of for the Irish authorities 
to decide how quickly they want to get this out. Um, Pfizer say they have the stocks and they can have them in, in the country within days. So very, very soon we will have a vaccine which protects not just against the original strain of the, of the virus, but against the currently circulating variant. So that should help protect not just against serious illness uh, and death, but also against infection for at least a period anyway. So do we know when the authorities here will give the new vaccines the green light and I suppose more importantly do we know when people will start getting those new vaccines? We don't. Um, The authorities here are currently finalising their plans for the winter. Uh, You mentioned flu so flu vaccines will will form part of that. Um, In the past you know there have been criticisms of the approval process here it seems a bit cumbersome but the way it works is that the National Immunisation Advisory Committee will decide um, how this new vaccine should be made available. It goes to the chief medical officer. She will then um, make her decision and, and then the HSE will, op- what they call, operationalise that decision. And in the past, that's taken several weeks. So I think it's unlikely that we will see uh, widespread availability of these vaccines until next month. But it is good news that Pfizer say they've plenty of stock. Does that mean we're not going to see a repeat of what we saw in 2021 when there was a huge waiting list of people who wanted to get vaccines? I don't think we will. In fact, Pfizer say that they've already stopped making their original vaccine uh, and they've moved over to making the new one. It's not a whole new manufacturing process. It's just a tweak on an existing product. Um, just the way we have adapted flu vaccines every year, which which vary from one year to the next. Um, so I, I don't think that will be a problem. Um, the other thing to remember as well is that these new adapted vaccines will only be available as boosters. You, could, you will have had to have an original vaccine. So the existing stocks will have to be used up on people um, on who are getting their first vaccines as well. I was going to ask you about the existing stocks because presumably we have a lot of vaccines stockpiled but we won't have many people who will need that initial jab. So what happens to the stockpile of vaccines that we do have? Will they get sent overseas? Will they get binned? That's not clear yet. Um, In fact, it's not clear what our stockpile is at the moment, but certainly um, you get the sense that the the system is slowing down at the moment. They've stopped ordering new stocks quite some time, so as not to build up a stockpile. Um, As I mentioned, the original products will have to be used for people who are getting newly vaccinated, and that can include people newly arrived in the country or new age groups. Um, but but it's true for, for, for most of us, for many of us who might need uh, a, an extra booster soon, um, the decision does come down to, do I go and get the existing uh, vaccine now as a booster or do I just wait a little while uh, and get the new adapted one if that's going to become available. It's a it's a bit of a calculation. Um, I think things will become clearer within a week or so. Yeah, you say it's a bit of a calculation, but presumably anybody who's already been vaccinated will be saying to themselves, well, I don't want the old vaccine. I want the new vaccine. Yes, absolutely. I'm in that position myself. Now, one of the features of of the early part of the vaccine rollout programme was how everybody knew when their time was going to come. So we were all told that the vaccine was for the over 80s, then it was for the over 70s, the over 60s, the over 50s or whatever it might have been. It seems a little bit less clear now what vaccines are available to what people. Is there any kind of information campaign or do we know when 
certain age cohorts will be able to get the new vaccine and when they'll be able to get boosters of the existing vaccine? Well, the situation is more complicated now because you have people who are not vaccinated, who are partially vaccinated, people who've had one booster, people who've had two boosters. In fact, people who've had what was called an extra booster as well, if they're immunocompromised. Um, so it, that's a that's a harder communi- communications message to, to get across to people. Um, I do have the sense that um, there wasn't the same urgency about things over the summer. All the figures were going in the right way. As I said, we were we were congregating out, outdoors. So I think, um, you know, basically we're going to have to inject new urgency into what we do um, coming into the autumn. And I think you'll start hearing those messages more, more, more solidly now uh, as the winter campaign is, is launched. Now, those messages were shared with us by Neffet in times past, and it was Neffet who was steering the ship. But that was... An- disbanded months ago. So who's responsible for the state's response to COVID now? It resides more in the Department of Health uh, still, as it did before. Um, As you know, um, the former chief medical officer, uh, Tony Hulhan, left and uh, we now have an acting chief medical officer, Professor Breed Smith. Um, It's a little bit worrying that there are a lot of people in interim roles. Um, um, The head of the HSE, Paul Reid, leaves at the start of October and be replaced by an interim person. The uh, Chief Operating Officer in the HSC uh, left last June and is replaced by somebody on a temporary position. So if we do run into a serious trouble, um, while the, the institutional memory is there, um, there will be a lot of people in, in, in somewhat temporary roles. Um, I don't think the system or the situation justifies a body the size of Neffet anymore. Uh, uh, that may change and, and something new may have to be brought up. There is a quite a lot of work going on in the background. There is a pro forma uh, sense about a lot of the reports that are coming out um, that people are just treading water, but they are putting a lot of their time into planning what will happen this winter. Is there a danger, Paul, that we might all be getting a little bit complacent when it comes to COVID? Because, you know, we have other crises occupying our minds now. And is there is there a likelihood that people might forget just how serious COVID is? You know, I think the last few months have been blissful in many ways. We were finally able, most of us were finally able to put COVID behind us and live unfettered and largely unrestricted lives for the first time in two and a half years. And I think that's something to be to be celebrated. Um, but if you look into the rationale of what how we were um, approaching this, I think there is a mixture of common sense in the sense that uh, most of us are vaccinated or boosted and the threat from COVID has gone down. But there's also a sense of not wishing to confront something that that just is uncomfortable for us and maybe running away from the situation. Now, we trust in our betters to organise the official response, but it hasn't gone away, unfortunately. It, it, as I mentioned, the figures are, are edging upwards. They, they seem to have settled at a reasonably high level. The, the Omicron variant is not as much a threat as previous variants were. Um, but if you are in an, an at-risk category, this virus still is a big threat. And that's reflected in the mortality figures in the number of deaths, which still uh, is in the hundreds each month. 
and it's mostly uh, older age groups. And then there are people who can't get vaccines or for one reason or another, or, um, people are immunocompromised, and they are still living back in 2020, I suppose, while the rest of us have moved on. Did you say the mortality rate was in the hundreds every month? That is the number of deaths uh, of people with COVID, not necessarily from COVID. And could you could you talk to me about the distinction between dying with COVID and dying of COVID? Yeah, this has been a debate that kind of raged during the pandemic uh, at various points. Not everybody who dies, who has COVID has died of COVID. It could be a contributory factor or it could be what they call incidental because you go in and if we look at we have a continuing problem with the number of people who pick up COVID in hospitals. So they go in for one reason and then they end up testing positive because they picked up the virus in the hospital. That could exacerbate their, their condition or it could be completely incidental. At the moment, the proportion of people in hospital who are there because of COVID keeps going down. So it's it, the last I've looked at it was about 38%. So almost two thirds of people who are in hospital with COVID, not really there because of that, it, it, but but it, it is a, in the mix for them. So so that's reassuring as well in, that, in the sense that that proportion has gone down an awful lot compared to previous variants that were circulating during the pandemic. Finally, Paul, let's talk about long COVID. By one estimate, there are 300,000 sufferers of long COVID in Ireland, and that's an astonishing number. Now, for a very long time, sufferers complained of feeling abandoned and they said there was no care available for them. Has that changed? I mean, if I get long COVID today, what help can I expect to get from the HSE? It has and it hasn't. In the early stages of the pandemic, you would give the state some latitude for what was a new situation, for the fact that they were dealing with an immediate crisis with infections circulating and people dying. But those excuses have fallen away. And you would expect now that two and a half years on that the state would have um, set out a clear plan for dealing with the lingering effects of the pandemic. It says it is or it has. It has set up a a network of, I think it's eight, what are called post-acute clinics, which is the first 12 weeks of symptoms after COVID. And then uh, six long COVID clinics, which is beyond 12 weeks. Um, There is a feeling among people who are suffering continuing symptoms that this is not enough. There is also a debate among clinicians and within patients as well, which says that the orientation of these clinics is not right, that they focus too much on respiratory um, symptoms and they fail to take adequate account to provide adequate resources to deal with other types of symptoms which are being experienced without doubt, which um, um, relate to inflammation and, and neurological symptoms. You know, we've heard talk, for example, about brain fog or uh, lasting fatigue. And Professor Jack Lambert in the in the Matter Hospital has argued that uh, the orientation is completely wrong and that, that they, the long COVID clinics need to uh, turn around and employ more neurologists, for example, and provide more of those type of, of tests uh, than they are at the moment. Do you think their message will be heard by government? Will the funding be put in place? Well, I think they're still in the stage. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, they, while they talk about setting up these long COVID clinics, they're not there yet. And, and they're suffering the same problems with recruitment and staffing that they are in the rest of the health service, which is worrying. Um, but I think the evidence is clear from international studies um, 
that there are there there are worrying aspects to this virus, particularly in its earlier forms, in the earlier variants. Um, that uh, you know, for example, that um, cardiac problems, neurological problems, can 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 be significantly elevated for quite a long period after after the original infection, even if the original infection wasn't that severe. So, uh, you know, this government or any other government would be very foolish to ignore that evidence. Thanks very much for talking to us, Paul. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Friday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.